is up, One Chapel? How we doing? Good, 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 good. I survived. I am alive. Camp went awesome. One of the most fun things I've ever done. Also, one of the hardest things I've ever done. It was awesome. I've been around these like camp type things a lot. And so, um, you know, typically you have a bunch of teenagers, you know, sleeping all in the same place. And it takes a monumental occasion to get them out of bed, right? Like you do all this stuff all day long. And then in the morning, it takes, you know, a lot to wake a teenager out of bed. But um, for some reason, uh, this tag camp, um, it was a little bit different. There was, uh, when I went to sleep, everybody, when I came back to the dorm after the first night, everybody was out cold. Nobody was talking. Like, that never happens. People always just, like, talk and, you know, all sorts of sounds that you don't know what they are, like, coming from all sorts of bunks. And, and so then I was like, okay, well, they're definitely going to take a lot to wake up in the morning. And um, I set my alarm, like, two hours before everybody should get up. And before my alarm even got, like, went off, there's, like, everyone, all these teenagers, 12, 13, 15-year-olds, everyone's up just having the best, like, most quiet morning, just having these good conversations. It was the strangest thing. It was so wild. I've never seen a teenager, like, oh, 6.30, good morning, world. Like, for me, (laughs) it was always, like, (laughs) for me, it was always, like, okay, 1 p.m., Good afternoon, world. Like that, that's still me today, if I'm being honest. Um, but no, it was awesome. It was so much fun. Um, but more importantly than that, there were legitimate life changes and impacts that happened on these students. And so what I wanted to do is um, we're going to kind of have like a student ministries uh, state of the union today. It's Tag Sunday. Ross gave me the mic. So who knows what's about to happen, right? But, <laughs> but as a church, I just wanted to bring up some students to kind of tell you about some life change and just the example of the lives that were impacted um, at camp this past week. So Alec, if you want to come on up here, man, can you give him a hand? And, and before we start, I just want to remind y'all, check your RBF. It's scary getting up here and talking to all of you. So big smiles. Let's be engaged. So Alec, why, why, why don't you start by telling us how long you've been coming to TAG? Uh, I've been coming to TAG since um, sixth grade, since middle school. Okay. Beginning of that. So. So, how, so how many TAG camps is that? This is my fifth. Fifth TAG camp. So we have a veteran here. So tell us a little bit, like, what is the expectation for you, like, going in after five TAG camps? Uh, so... When I first started going, it was thinking of something was going to happen, and I just got in the same motion of routine every year, year after that. And um, this time, I was still having the uh, routine of what was going to happen. I know exactly what happens, but this one just changed and flipped on all over me. It was just like, I was like, wow, this is completely different than I expected. Yeah, yeah. Tell us, tell us about that. What, what happened? So on the second night of TAG camp, after we did worship, and then Ross... Uh, Pastor Ross was there, and he had these buckets laid out, and he's filled with rocks. And what he, uh, the whole deal was that is you write something that, that was uh, holding us back or holding us against it on it, and we put it at the cross. Mm-hmm. And what really, uh, well, I, was, I was just sitting there thinking what I need to write on it. And I was thinking of all the things I've done, all the stuff that I had trouble, and I just realized that uh, I look back, way back to when I was born. So I'm out of my family. I'm the only one adopted. I'm adopted from Russia. And so my family took their time to literally 
go all the way to Russia and pick me up one in a million, pretty much. Mm. And that's what hit me the most, because if they didn't do that, then I wouldn't be standing here right now. And mm. if they didn't do any of that, I wouldn't have a family that would love me and uh, that would actually care for me. And it was just interesting to see that then to them having to do that. And that just broke me the whole entire time at camp, pretty much. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, yeah, there you go. So, so that experience of just being filled with, like, gratefulness, what, how, what did that teach you about the Lord? Uh, it kind of teached me that because I was adopted into this family, and I was also adopted to his family, too. Come on. And it just showed that no matter what, even though that even if you think you're not nothing, that God does have something for you. And I, that's what I thought. I thought I was just some person got adopted, but I realized that I was one in a million. He could have chosen anyone else. And he picked me, come all the way back from Russia to here, and to be able to talk about this. Dang, that's awesome. Can we give him a hand? Praise God for that. That's awesome. All right, Cassie, come on up here. Hey, everyone, this is Cassie. Hi. <laughs> so, Cassie, how long have you been coming to TAG? I've been going for three years. Three years, okay. So this was your third TAG camp? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So tell us a little bit, like, about your life over the past year before TAG camp. Okay, so my life changed a lot, a lot. <laughs> it didn't change for the better, to be honest. It just kept getting worse. So, like, some of the problems were, like, family issues, people leaving, my behavior problem, which was really bad. And, yeah, I had that, and, like, it led me to be isolated and I didn't really talk to no one. I closed myself with bad influences and distanced myself with good influences that mm. would actually benefit me. And, yeah, um, <laughs> sorry. It's okay. So, um, yeah, that led, I couldn't talk to anyone because I thought like they would look at me different, like, like, they would look at me a certain type of way that I didn't want people to see me. And I just kept keeping it all to myself, never talking to anyone about my problems. Mm -hmm. And it, that led me to really bad depression. And I had it for a couple months. And it just kept getting worse. And it led me to um, committing suicide, um, attempting to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. And that was around March, and I went to a psychiatric hospital for a week. And my mom always told me to keep praying, keep praying, and I did. But I didn't feel him. I didn't feel him because I thought he was mad at me. Like, I just felt like he didn't want to talk to me, like he wasn't going to listen to me. And... And then after I thought everything's gonna get better, like I got out the hospital, they're like, okay, we're giving you a second chance, like do better, do better. So I tried, but it just didn't work. I kept doing the same stuff that I was doing. And um, yeah, um, sorry. kept doing the same stuff and 
it was time for um, like beginning of starting to go to camp like in the time of camp things just got like really bad um more family problems my stepdad left us and that hit me really hard because he just left our family but going into camp i thought like it's just gonna be another camp I'm, i already know how it feels i've already gone through the motions then after it's gonna be the same thing so i go into camp the first two days i don't really feel anything but i just keep pushing through it i keep worshiping and on the last night, Kirsty, she prayed for me, and I just suddenly felt this rush of emotion, and I just started bawling my eyes out. And God was telling me that he wasn't mad at me of what I did. He was always there for me. He never had left my side. Even though other people have left me and my family, Come on. he would never leave. That's so good. And even though like my problems aren't solved after, they're still happening, but I know God is with me. Come on. He's not mad at me and I can talk to him. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. I love you. And th- th- I cried first service, I'm gonna try to pull it together. Um it, it, it <laughs> I think like all of the fun things and you know the games and all of that stuff it's fun and it's awesome but like that type of encounter is what people need and you know at, at tag camp uh, you know I know Cassandra's story and you know I've been kind of been walking with her and her family through this time and and it was just like such a blessing to just see her on the third night of camp, just r- up there in the front, just worshiping and having these encounters with the Lord because, man, that changes everything. Without an encounter for, with the Lord, like you're, you have to walk through it alone. But with Jesus, he promises to walk with us through everything. And uh, it's just, it just it makes me emotional just thinking about it. But anyways... <clears throat> Tag camp. <laughs> Here comes the awkward transition. Um, so I don't know if y'all saw, but in the video, there's these, uh, there's like a couple shots of like the powder paint, like explosion. You know, it looks like this joyous time of jubilee and happiness. Um, in fact, it's actually quite the opposite. So last year, I was a novice. I was a newbie. I uh, had never been to tag camp, didn't know what SmackDown was. So you could say that I was not prepared for SmackDown. Um, it, you know, I'm thinking, okay, it's a youth camp. How bad could it really be? Um, bad. Um, so <laughs> this is kind of how it works. You know, there's a whole bunch of sandwich bags full of powder paint, like hundreds and hundreds of them, and we have shaving cream and everything. And what you see in the video is a whole bunch of smiling faces and just a beautiful big puff cloud of powder paint. But if you are in the middle of the powder paint, it is like World War I, tear gas, I can't breathe, I can't see, just a panic. Okay, so that was my first experience. Cause, so last year, my, my eyes just started burning, and I started running through the clouds with my eyes closed, just trying to get out of the powder paint. Okay, so this year, I was, I was determined. I wanted to be prepared. So I had Noah Green, uh, awesome, got me some goggles, 
okay, so that my eyes wouldn't burn. Um, but I quickly learned that you have more than just the, the two holes in your face. You, <laughs> you also have a mouth and a nose. Um, <coughs> so I was thinking, you guys, if you've seen me around, I look like this all the time, so my mouth's kind of open, and I just like, look like a goon. But um, so I was doing that same thing. Uh, they say go to the SmackDown. I feel like I'm better prepared because nothing's going to get in my eyes. My eyes are protected. Um, but there's something that happens when students have an opportunity to just destroy their youth pastor that they just like take and run with it. Like you are the biggest target. So I, I run in there and the powder's going everywhere and I'm like, okay, this is going okay. I don't know who it was. One of y'all grabbed a bag of powder paint and with my mouth open, smiling, having a good time, takes it and shoved it, shoves it in my mouth. Uh, powder paint caked all over inside my mouth, all around my uvula. I start gagging, feeling like I can't breathe, feeling like this is the day that I die. Of all days, like the smackdown is what smacks me down. Like it was, <laughs> it was crazy. Fun times had by all except me, apparently. So, um, but it was good. At camp was, it was amazing. It was fun. Y'all heard about the life change. But really, the heart for our youth ministry is that, not that these encounters just happen one time. You know, hey, when I was a freshman in high school, I went to this camp and I felt God. But, you know, afterwards, there's really no fruit from it. Or one time when I was in middle school, we were worshiping and I felt something. Man, I love that the Holy Spirit allows us to have these emotional feelsy encounters with him, but that's not all your walk with Jesus can be. There, at some point, you have to make a decision to say, you know what? I don't care if I feel it. I don't care if I don't. I'm going to decide today to follow Jesus. And so that's what we want with TAG Ministries. I just talked to a lady after the first service, and she told me, she came up to me, and she said, you know what? When I was 16 years old, I got encountered by the Lord. I accepted Jesus. I made a decision to follow him, and I'm 70, 72 years old, and I'm still following him today. I want our students to be able to, to say and look back, I followed the Lord from the time that I was 12 years old. I followed the Lord from the time that I was 18, 19, whatever it is. See, statistics show there's a Barna Group study that has said 87% of Christians today make a decision to follow the Lord between the ages zero to 18. 87%. That tells me that these years are vitally important. And so what I want to talk to you about today is as a church, how do we become a multi-generational church and lean into the next generation? It takes no effort at all to grow old. But as a church, we have to decide together that we're going to come around, undergird the next generation. So the first way that I would, uh, that I just want to encourage y'all to lean into the next generation and, and help us support our young people is simple, but also I think it's profound. And, that, and the first thing is pray. Pray for our young people. Pray for our next generation. It seems simple. But prayer takes us out of the realm of what we can do and into the realm of what God can do. It takes the, the authority and the power out of our hands and it gives it to the Lord. I always say 
that the level of preparation in prayer determines your level of outpouring. And so if we want the Holy Spirit to outpour in this city, in this next generation, we have to prepare in prayer first. Amen? I, I spoke a message um, at, at camp, and I had everybody always shouting back at me. I told them to always shout back at me, one more lap, one more lap, one more lap. And what I was talking about was jo- in Joshua chapter 6. It's the, the Israelites walking around the walls of Jericho, right? We kind of have these veggie tales in our head, like, just keep walking, and you won't knock down the wall. Keep marching. I don't know what the word is. Okay. Right? It's that story. But in that story in Joshua chapter 6, the Lord tells Joshua, okay, in order for you to get in the promised land, you have to conquer this city called Jericho. It was a small city, really high walls, but the way that you're going to conquer it is by walking around it. It's not by charging through, kind of like we're going on a bear hunt, can't go over it, can't go around it, can't go aside, you got to go through it, right? And so that's basically what the Lord tells Joshua. But when Joshua tells the people what they're going to do to conquer the city, he tells them that they're going to walk around, and, and spoiler alert, what happens is the Israelites march around, and on the seventh day, they walk around seven times, and at the end, they just go, woo and then all the walls come crashing down, and they conquest Jericho. But when Joshua told, when Joshua told the Israelites, he didn't tell them how long they were going to be marching around the walls. He just said to march. And so I can imagine if I'm putting myself into the, the mind of an Israelite soldier, you're trained for battle, you have all this armor, you have all this stuff, and yet Joshua just tells us to just to keep walking, just keep walking around the wall. And I imagine around day four or five of doing the same thing, it didn't make sense. Why are we just walking around the wall? And I wonder how many times as, as Christians do we stop short on the sixth lap around something? And so I did this illustration, I, I learned on the internet, that you can uh, explode a watermelon with rubber bands. Okay, but the thing about it is you don't know how many exactly rubber bands it takes to make the breakthrough, to explode the thing. And, and, and I feel like that's sometimes, the rubber bands can represent prayer, right? How often do we pray for something over and over again, and we don't see the breakthrough that we're praying for. I just want to encourage you, church, when we're praying for our young people, parents, when you're praying for your teenagers, parents, when you're praying for your kids, sometimes the rubber band will go around the watermelon, and you won't see what you're looking for. But I don't want us to be a church that stops on the sixth lap. I don't want us to be a church that gives up. No matter how far kids ro- walk away from the Lord, I want to be a church that says, you know what? We're going to continue to pray. We're going to continue to go one more lap. Because the tension is always highest right before the breakthrough of the watermelon. Or in life. <laughs> so all this to say, I want us to be a church that no matter what the circumstances we see in our young people's lives, that we will commit to pray for them. No matter how long, it, how long it takes, because I guarantee you when we get to heaven, there will be millions of people who are in heaven solely because they had a praying grandma, they had a praying grandpa, praying mom, sister, father, daughter, all of it, because prayer works. 
The second thing as a church that we need to do to surround and, and support our young people is seek to understand. I was doing some research and um, Barna did another study where they, they interviewed a whole bunch of Generation Zers. Generation, uh, Generation Z is from 1995, 1996 and to present. Um, and they asked them about truth. And they said, do you believe that truth changes depending on generation? Something like 82% of them said yes. Truth is different from the past to the future. And then the second question they asked with similar statistics was, do you think that truth is relative to each person? And 80-something percent said, yes, truth is relative to each person. Now, what we believe as a church is the same truth that was true 10,000 years ago. If the word of God said it 10,000 years ago, it's still true today. But see, there's a tension in that. Because as a Generation Z person, as the next generation, when they're thinking about things like this, they, they, they feel like it's, it's changing. And so what we need to do is we need to seek to understand. Because if students don't have a place to come to kind of spill the doubt, spill the ideas that they have in front of a community that loves them and protects them and will love them through it, then they're going to take their questions and their doubts somewhere else. And I want this to be a church where doubts and questions and all of that, it, it's a safe place here. And I understand. And so if you're a student in here, it, it, it's also flipped, right? To all your students in the room, we have to commit as a church that we're not going to look at the older generations and say, no, you're just outdated. No, we, we don't believe what you're saying that's different now. You don't understand. No, we need to commit as, a, as the next generation to partner with the older gener generation. But my heart for the students is that us as the older generation, kind of me. <laughs> yeah, the seasoned generation. Yeah, that we would seek to understand first. That we would not shame someone for doubting or for questioning. The third thing is simply just to encourage them. The more, so this is one year. I'm one year in. A year ago, last, a year ago, Tag Sunday was my first day at one chapel. So it's been a year. Yeah, that's, that's what we're celebrating. I made it, people. I made it. <laughs> no, but the more that I get into it, the more that I realize that it is a rarity for a student to have their home life be a place of, that's life-giving. And that just breaks my heart. But I want to commit as a church that we will encourage and that we will speak life and that we will help students push forward and push through by encouraging them. It seems simple. And it seems like that's something that everybody should have. But our students get enough death spoken over them at school. I want church to be a, a safe place, a, a place of refuge for them. So let's commit to encourage them. Can we do that? Yes. Are you all with me? Yes. All right, come on, somebody. That's right. So at camp, we kind of had a root theme, a, a basis of scripture that we wanted each message to build off of. And that passage is Jeremiah 1. So if you all have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1? 
verse 4. I'll read it. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So this is the passage, right? And really, our messages build off of each other, but they had some three central themes that we want every student to graduate and go into the college, go to wherever they're, the real world, knowing these from the bottom of their heart. And the first truth that we can pull out of this passage is, God likes me. God, li- God, li- God likes me? God, God likes you? I, th- I feel like we hear Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Je- we hear that word, but unfortunately that word has been so numbed in our culture. That doesn't even mean anything. Like, sometimes I feel like it's easier for us to believe that God loves us, but the fact that he could also like us, pff, that blows our minds. Um, And so let's look at the scripture. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were even on this earth, before you were even a thought, our Father in heaven knew us. He knew us. And it also says, before you were born, I set you apart. Before you were born. So what this passage tells me is that our standing with the Lord has nothing to do with our performance. Because guess what? If you had not been born yet, there is no possible way you've ever done anything for the Lord yet. But yet he still knows us and he still sets us apart. God likes us. I feel like it's so easy to look at God as this big Gandalf guy sitting on this huge throne, just ready and willing to take us out whenever we mess up. Or we feel like he's so disappointed in us. Or he's so mad at us. Or, or he can't believe what we did last night. But listen to me, this isn't just true for junior high and high school students. This isn't just true for the new believer. This is true for you now. Every single person in here, this is true. God likes you. So I'm going to preach to you just like I preached to our students. So if you would, turn to your neighbor and tell them, God likes you. you. Turn to your other neighbor, your second string neighbor, the one you don't like as much, and tell them, I might like you second, but God likes you. (laughs) I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. He isn't angry with you. He likes you. It doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter what you did next week, what you're going to do next week. He still likes you. He wants to be with you. His primary ethic is to make relationship with you. In Mark chapter 5, there's a story of the woman with the issue of blood. And for time's sake, I'm not going to read it, but basically what's happening is it's Jesus, and he's on his way to go heal a very important person's uh, daughter. And while he's on the way, there's a big crowd that's following him, and this woman who has this disease for 12 years knows that the only way that she can find healing is to go and touch Jesus' garment or just to, just to get in front of him. She knows that he's the one who holds the keys to her, her healing and breakthrough. So as the story goes, the disciples are walking 
and, and there's a big crowd, and she kind of pushes through the crowd, and she touches his garment, and she's instantly healed. See, Jesus, around a ton of people, he knew, he knew somehow that she touched him, and so he asked, who touched me? And back in that day, having a disease, having a disease like the one she had would have been made her an outcast. Like, there's no way that she would have been able to touch a rabbi. She would have been gross. She would have been unclean. But see, what Jesus does is he says, who touches me? And then once he identifies her, the first thing that he says is, daughter, your faith has healed you. He establishes the relationship first and foremost. And that is the same relationship that he wants to establish with all of us today, is daughter or son. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you've been unclean. Jesus' first thing that he says to you, the first thing on his mind when he thinks about you is, daughter, you're my son. He's a good father. He's a good father. Number two, the second thing that every tag student needs to know before they leave, and the second thing that we're going to pull out of this passage is that you are set apart. You are set apart. The Lord knows you uniquely. He chose you uniquely. He loves you uniquely. It's not because you go to church. It's not because you're in a certain family. It's not because you surround yourself with certain friends. No, the Lord looks at you uniquely. See, for junior high and high school students, there's this weird, like, want to fit in, but want to be different. You know, everybody wants to be different. Everybody, this is the hipster generation, everybody. But yet, if you were to walk through a hall of a junior high and high school, it seems like everybody's wearing just about the same thing. Same name brand, same all of this stuff. See, there's this longing to be different, but yet a feel like a need to fit in. See, the Lord looks at you differently and uniquely, but you always fit into to his family. Mm. You are set apart. You are called to be different. <laughs> Number three, you have a purpose. Jeremiah, in that passage we read in Jeremiah 7, it says, But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send to you and say whatever I command. Do not be afraid of them, for for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. See, everyone in this room, from the top to the bottom, from zero to 100 years old, the Lord has a purpose for you now. You know, it's easy when... When, and and I, it's important for students to understand that the Lord's purpose is so much better. It's so much better his way, right? That's important. But I realize it's not just junior high and high school students in the room today. I feel like as you grow up, you feel like maybe you've missed it. Maybe you've been living your life in a certain direction, following your own way, your own purpose, your own path. But let me tell you something. Until the day that you go home to meet Jesus, the Lord is not done with you. You still have a purpose. He still wants to use you as a part of his bigger story. From zero to 100, it's the same. What happens when you're 101? I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we talked about at camp, we talked about how Christianity is not boring, right? Maybe that's like kind of a reputation of Christians are these like prude, like people just always on their knees, you know, walking around like this praying or whatever? Maybe, maybe a little exaggerated. But Christianity is not boring because Jesus' purpose for you is always going to push you a little bit outside your comfort zone. 
Walking a life of faith is daring and exciting and adventurous. But see, the problem that, that people think that Christianity is boring is because they've been sold an off-brand. They've seen Christians live the Dr. Thunder version of Christianity rather than the Dr. Pepper version of Christianity. Can I get an amen? amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but y'all know what I mean? Christians compartmentalize church and they compartmentalize life. And it's two separate things. And guess what? You'll never live your full, up to your full potential. In Ephesians 1, it says, we have been promised every spiritual blessing that is in Christ. If that is true, living part-time compartmentalized means that we won't possess that promise. That we won't walk in that. And so I realized that these are basic, right? These are somewhat elementary, but I feel like they're still profound because I feel like if we understand, we truly understand and have the revelation of this to our core, that God likes us, that he has set us apart to be different, and that he has a purpose for us no matter how old we are, those three things are life-changing. I just want to, as we close, I want to invite the band up. I want to close with communion. I love communion because it always brings us back to the central focus of Christianity, and that's Jesus' sacrifice. Taking his body and his blood to remember what he did so that we could have freedom, so that we could have this relationship with God. But all over the room, I feel like the Lord wants to remind us of this. He wants to remind us that he likes us Despite what we've done, he likes us. That he has set us apart. We don't got to be like everybody else. We're called to be different. And that he has a purpose for you. And it is so much better his way. It's so much better his way. We're about to sing a song. And it's called Shepherd. And basically what we'll be singing is the 23rd Psalm. And what it says is, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though I, even in the presence of my enemies, you prepared a table. Now, this was an anthem that we sang at camp. Like, if you were to walk in while we were singing this song, everyone's hands up, tears going out of their eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Because in God's purpose, he promises to walk with us. I wish that I could say that Christianity is just a life of blessing and no suffering. But if you've followed Christ for any amount of time, you know that's not true. But see, he promises to walk with us, to be with us in the valley of the shadow of death. So if you're in the room and maybe this revelation hasn't really settled in your heart, I want us to come to the table and just deal with it with the Lord. Tell him to remind you that he likes you. Tell him to remind you that he set you apart. Tell him to remind you and show you what his purpose for your life is. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you that you like us, that you want to be with us. God, thank you that you have set us apart to be different. God, thank you that your purpose for our lives is so much better. 
is so much better than anything that we could do on our own strength. God, thank you that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that we do not have to fear because you are with us. Remind us of that. In Jesus' name.